What is up, everybody? Welcome back to an episode of Guardians of the Future. I'm your host, Justin Latta. Last week, a good conversation with Michael Mahoney from Lake County, landing the plane on their season. And as promised, our friend of the show from Lynchburg and the Hillcats, Jason Prill, Cleveland native, of course. You remember him from earlier this season on the podcast, hopefully, uh, joins the show so we can put to bed the 2023 Lynchburg Hillcats. Jason, thanks for uh, taking the time to come on and kind of give your observations on a team. The only team outside of Ohio, outside of the, uh, the Arizona complex league, which we don't, we're not really sure exists except on paper. Yeah. I'm not sure the Arizona league exists either. It's impossible to find anything on the players when they come up from Arizona. So, uh, but yeah, no, I'm very glad to Justin anytime. Uh, I'm glad to be the, the eyes and ears and occasionally the voice for, <laughs> all the Ohioans who can't uh, catch a Hillcats game in person. Yeah, you do it all. One of these years I got to get down there, maybe next year. I decided to get married this year and did all that stuff. So it was kind of a busy summer for me. And I already had said I didn't really provide the kind of coverage or do the kind of work I normally do this year. And I'm hoping to be more consistent next year. So hopefully maybe that'll include a trip to Lynchburg. Hillcats, marriage, uh, it's a toss up. (laughs) They both take a lot lot of time, right? A lot of effort. It's a long drive. Bears takes a long, yeah. So very true, very true. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I saw your tweet or post, whatever we're calling it these days on X or other whatever website it is now. Um, this is the first winning season by the Hillcats since what year was it? Remind me. Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Okay. Well, that's kind of surprising, really, because there's been at least I don't know. I I always tell people not to equate winning with talent or talent with winning when it comes to minor league baseball, because two of those things don't often correlate, but uh, you know, this is a roster that that definitely has some questions throughout the year, but certainly had some interesting talent. I'm, I'm just surprised that was the first winning season since then, because there have been some names that have come through there over the last several years that you would have thought um, would have given them more successful baseball. I mean, didn't they make the playoffs the year, but was it the year before the, the pandemic was it 2019 that uh the hurricane wiped the playoffs out or something uh so we made the playoffs we made the playoffs last year actually that's uh, right yeah we were, we were actually in the championship series so uh, actually i think it may have been a year ago tonight when we're recording this that we lost on this home field uh that's right in front of me right now but uh, i mean you look at the teams that they've had the last few years 21 uh, they had guys like john kenzie noel who was arguably the biggest name to come out of that team uh, the 2019 team was was stacked. I mean, you had guys like Nolan Jones uh, and a lot of names who uh, I know Guardians fans are not so happy that they're not with the organization anymore. <laughs> so I'm not going to drop them. But Stephen Kwan was here, um, and so uh, it was a. You look at the pro potential from that season; it was incredible for 2019 and 2018. It it was pitching in, in that year that carried them to a winning record. You had guys like Zach Plezak. Sam Henches, who were all dominant uh, at different points throughout that year. So uh, I, I'm noticing a trend that uh, it's pitching here in here in Lynchburg that seems to make a difference on whether or not a team has success. It doesn't surprise me in the Carolina League because you see a lot of walks and you see a lot of a lot of non-competitive at bats sometimes from guys who just can't find the zone. So la- so last year it would have been this is you're saying it for a a full season. This is the first full season of a over 500 record. So to make the playoffs last year, they would have been over 500 in the second half. Uh, we made it in the first half and we were over 500. I think we were like maybe okay. two or three games above 500. It was, it, it was a race to the finish, but it was not a pretty race. It was, uh, I, I wouldn't want to go back and rewatch it at all. Because <laughs> Each team was just stumbling through the first half and, uh, the, the final week of the first half last year was exciting when we went to Delmarva, uh, took both games of a doubleheader to win it, both in comeback fashion, which is arguably it goes down in the, the lore of Lynchburg baseball. Um, but it, it was not pretty for much of the year up until that point. And then the second half, uh, a lot of the, the talent got called up. A lot of the pitching yep. uh, started getting poached. You think about guys like Jack Leftwich, uh, who oh, yeah. is – was having a heck of a season before getting called up and then unfortunately dealing with some injury problems. Um, you had Dion who has continued his success throughout the minor leagues. And then the guys who stuck around the whole year, like Franco Alleman, who we couldn't throw a strike when he was in Lynchburg. <laughs> so <laughs> it just proves you, you never know what you're going to get in, in baseball. 
That's true. Development is not linear. Uh, let's kind of go in reverse with two names on the hitting side of things real quickly, because these are kind of the two names that are going to stick out, at least one to me and one to everybody else. The first one let's start with was the uh, lone all-star from the Hillcats this year. That was uh, Jose Devers, who had quite a quite a season and a power surge late in the second half. Uh, 11 homers from a guy you probably didn't expect it for a ton of power, a whopping 34 steals. Uh, a guy, when I watched, looked like he played a pretty good shortstop, but uh, didn't really know a whole lot about him going into the year. You know, he's Raphael Devers' cousin, I think. He's got another cousin named Jose Devers. Like, that was about all I knew. But now I'm very interested to see what next year holds for him because that was a great end of the season for him. Yeah, and I- – we actually don't even know if he's Raphael Devers' cousin. We, we, oh. we asked him, and he said no, but the internet says yes. So we don't know what to believe. Uh, the internet's always true. <laughs> exactly. I believe everything you, you see on the internet. But uh, Sammy Vasquez and Ward Kellen Vasquez also were telling people they were brothers to see if they, they could convince everyone. Uh, <laughs> and some people fell for it. Um, but we – so I, I I can't confirm that he's Raphael Devers' brothers, but he okay. plays uh, just as well – for this level of baseball uh, it, outstanding defensively. He's got a cannon for an arm, any ball that's hit to him. It doesn't matter how, how slowly or how sharply it's hit at him. The dude's going to make a play. He'll either knock it down and, and fire it over or pick it cleanly or fall to his butt and make a throw from his uh, rear end and have it right on a dime. He, outstanding. In my two years here, he's probably the best defender I've seen come through Lynchburg. Um, and his bat isn't that far behind it. He started out the year hitting above 300. Um, and that was kind of for the whole month of April. And then he started hitting a couple home runs and you could kind of see his desire to hit more at just the way he approached every single at bat. And that happens. He was 18, 19 years old, uh, at the start of the season. And so you hit a couple home runs, you hit a couple dingers, you think you're a power hitter. And all of a sudden you think you're going to be the next Barry Bonds. He wasn't that. And so he had to learn how to adjust his average drop below 200. And then he finally started to piece it together to figure things out to find his pure swing that he had at the start of the season that the uh, Guardians are known for developing. And then at the end of the year, he really capitalized on it, not only with picking up base hits, but he was able to capitalize on poor pitches and make pitchers pay with some with some power. So he the second half, the final about month or so is it, we really saw his potential. And I was talking with uh, one of my coworkers earlier today who was around the whole season. We both said the same name, uh, Diane Frias, uh, as a guy he he comps to uh, on all aspects of his game. His energy, uh, his defense, his bat. It, it's very similar to something that we saw last year in Diane Frias. So you said Devers is the best defender at in general or at shortstop. So, you know, you saw Frias last year. You saw Milan Tolentino. Tolentino stuck at shortstop. Frias has kind of moved off to to second and third. So I guess we're probably assuming we'll continue to see more of Devers at short defensively. And do we think that the the pop in his bat has a little bit of staying power to put a pun behind it? I think so. I, I think he's got enough uh, power in his bat to, to to make a little bit of run. I, it's uh, he's not going to be a thirty home run guy, and he's not going to be a Francisco Lindor. But I, if you can get twelve to fifteen home runs over a full season from him, and if he adds on some weight, I mean, the dude's uh, he's a, he's a twig. He's probably one fifty soaking wet, um, and so you never expect him to have the most pop on the team. But he if he can add some weight, he can definitely sustain that pop for a little bit longer and stay in that shortstop position well throughout the organization. And he is rule five out this off season. So I'm very curious to see what happens there. I don't think he is a guy who other teams probably feel like can stick on a major league roster. So I don't see the need, need to roster him, but it is interesting that he is coming up on that already. And you never know. Uh, there are certain guys that uh, teams catch the eye of, whether it's batted ball data or defense, but uh, you never know in guys' positions like that. Another guy who, you know, was on the team late. We're talking about a late run for Devers, but the guy obviously everyone's going to want to hear about is Jason Chorio. That was what everyone was hoping for. Obviously, people were hoping it would happen sooner, but he got nine games to the Hillcats. First couple of games, he looked 
really polished. Like he was taking walks. He had a double his first at bat. Then, you know, things kind of started to get tough for him. It's only nine games. So there's no reason to make any conclusions, but um, initially, what do you think? What were your thoughts on him? And just maybe after those first couple games where it looked like he was settled, already settled in, things didn't go as smoothly for him. Well, the first thing I noticed is he does not look like a, a teenager. Uh, he walks up and he's taller than me. He's bulkier than me. He's a big guy and he doesn't have the pop that you'd expect for a guy that size, but uh, he is a humongous muscular guy that uh, he's, he's got that major league build already that if it continues to develop and flourish, you can expect to see him at that level, just build wise. But those first couple of games, I was really impressed with his, his patience at the plate. Uh, and it was another thing, just like uh, we were talking about with Devers, where I think his age, uh, he started pressing a little bit when he was trying to pick up some base hits and trying to show that he had uh, a little bit of, of power in his bat, started over swinging, chasing pitches. And in the Carolina League, you get antsy at the plate because a lot of guys can't throw strikes consistently. And so you go up there and everybody wants to hit the ball. Nobody likes taking walks. So you start pressing a little bit more to try to force some things and, and turn some heads. And it, it was the same thing that happened to Angel Hanel last year when he came up for a couple of games uh, at the end of the year. He just could never find his bat. Uh, it wasn't up to the par that we had all thought it would be at. And then the second half of this year, Angel Hanel may have been the Hillcats' best hitter. Uh, and so I, I see a similar thing in Jason Churio. Just it, it takes time when you go from Arizona and the humidity and a ballpark where the ball can just carry and everything is going to be a base hit to Lynchburg where not everything is a base hit and nothing's in the strike zone. So it, it took him some time to adjust and to uh, grow into the role. And I think it, he's going to start in Lynchburg next year, I would assume, and give him a few weeks and he'll be back to the Cheerio that we've come to expect. I'm glad you said that because I was going to say Churio, expect him to be the uh, opening day center fielder in Lynchburg in 2024, maybe the leadoff hitter, who knows. Uh, the one thing I noticed with him, too, is that you talk about how big he is, and that might you know allude to some future pop in the bat, maybe not like his brother Jackson, but uh, should allude to some, some future power. But the thing that st- stood out to me, too, just because of the uh, how your camera is set up in Lynchburg, that guy flies out of the box. like He's a big kid, but geez, he gets a good first step. Like the, I think the double, his first hit that I watched, I mean, he was out of the box and down the line very quickly. That's surprising for a guy his size, even though he knew that was part of his game. Yeah, there are some guys, you can tell right away, they have that it factor. And whether or not it comes to fruition is why we have minor league baseball. But he's got that it factor. Every part of his game, he's solid, he's consistent. Fielding, he gets a good jump and a good read off the bat. Uh, he's excellent. He covers a lot of ground in the outfield, more than you would probably expect for a guy his size. Um, he runs the base as well. He's smart. He's got a high IQ. He is the kind of guy that has that factor that you could say, all right, this guy has a legitimate shot to be a, a solid player in the organization for a long, long time. And even though it was only nine games, like you said, and probably only five of them came in Lynchburg and the other four came on the road, um, you could see just in his demeanor, his approach, he's got that, he's got that swagger, that, um, that it factor. So you thought Angel, you already mentioned Angel Hanau. He had a much better season this year. It was, I, I thought there were some ups and downs. It felt like every time I watched him or was keeping an eye on what was going on there, it would be like, he'd have a stretch where he had like three or four good games in a row with some extra base hits. And then it would kind of taper off and then he'd pick it back up and then it, it would go, South for like I feel like he just never could maintain the consistency. Maybe maybe you felt differently, or maybe you saw more than I did. But I I felt like it would be a couple of game stretch where he'd look really good, and then it would fall off. Um, my other concern with him was was defense. And you can't always judge based on minor league errors because you just never know. But my other concern with him this year was defensively. I think I was looking for a little bit more. Yeah, and and, and you're right. Seventy five percent of the year he was that up and down player. A couple of games here, and then a couple of games off. Uh, but the last 25% of the season, really, the turning point was the game against Fredericksburg when uh, Dylan Cruz came in, went five for five, two home runs, that Sunday matinee game that had, uh, what was it, 27 runs combined, 34 hits, lost my voice. 
But we had a walk-off hit at the end of the night, and it was just a nice, pure line drive down the left field line. And from there, everything that he hit was finding grass. Everything that – every time he stepped in the box, you had confidence. And you could see it just in the way he he stood in the box. Like there was just more energy, more life, more confidence in his swing. Uh, and so the last 25% of the, the season, I felt very comfortable with what we were seeing from Angel Hanau. And defensively, a lot of those errors came over at third base. And that's not his natural position, uh, I would argue. Uh, he's definitely built more as a middle infielder. Um, and that's where I think he would slot later into the organization. Obviously, in Lynchburg, if you're on the infield, you play every position. Um, and you can try to figure out where you can slot. That's why Frias has now moved to third for uh, most of what you've seen uh, in Lake County. Um, but I, I think now his arm just wasn't comfortable over at third. And then when they would flip him over towards short, every once in a while he'd fall into that third base mindset and think he'd have to throw it a little bit harder to get it there. Uh, and it would just go erratic. So I think if they can find him some comfort up the middle, uh, or at least stick him somewhere consistently, I think that's where you're going to find his best success. Uh, he just he was having trouble figuring out every opportunity and what was going to be needed and uh, and what he needed to do when he was flip-flopping from position to position night in and night out. But if you give him that consistency, we saw when he would go through stretches at short for extended periods of time, he was pretty solid. But once they started moving him around, that's where they had some trouble. Yeah, something to work on next year, and he's in Lake County. He came in, you know, as a prospect reputation for being for a good glove. So it sounds like you're saying, not necessarily the glove; it's more the arm, based on mm-hmm. what happened with him defensively. That makes a lot more sense. Uh, one guy, I kept, I kept trying to take him away from you guys. I kept trying to wish cast Angels or Arte to go to Lake County. It never happened because there was never really an opening. Um, he had a good start to the year. He, he maintained it for most of the year. I know he had an injury. Came back, was pretty good after the injury, and seems like things towards the end of the year kind of took off on him. But a guy I thought that early on was was way too good to be in the Carolina League. Yeah, no, and you could see it as time went on. And I, I don't want to say he lost interest because I don't think anyone ever does in minor league baseball because you can't, you can't afford to, especially now with the uh, small rosters that teams are allowed to carry and uh, the cuts that are always being made every single week in minor league baseball. Uh, I, I just think you could see it a little bit that he wanted to be in Lake County. He was 24 years old. He was the oldest guy on the team. I, you can only be here for so long. And he definitely had everything that you would look for, for a guy that would be called up. But like you said, when the lauder, I got assigned to Lake County that eliminated pretty much any potential for, um, for Zarate to get bumped up. And so he just had to grind out the rest of the season and, he was making solid contact. It just was one of those stretches where it just wasn't falling. It was being hit right at guys or guys were making some pretty solid defensive plays and they were flip-flopping him around in the order a lot. He was batting leadoff for a time with Kyle Lipscomb's injury and then he would slot down in the seven hole. So when you're moving guys around like that, it can be hard to find some of that rhythm. Uh, when he was consistently in that leadoff spot, he did an excellent job. Once Guy Lipscomb came back and they started moving him around, and he had to change his approach at the plate, that's when his numbers dipped a little bit. So if I'm a Guardians fan, I'm not going to be too concerned about Zarate. He's got everything that you're looking for in an outfielder and a guy who he's got leadership abilities. Uh, he's a humble guy. He's a quiet, hardworking dude. And I was really impressed all season long with just his attitude, his demeanor, because it can be hard. When you're 24 years old and you're stuck in Lynchburg, it can be very frustrating. But he, he approached it day in and day out. He understood. And that's his story from UNC. It was a story where he was kind of overlooked and he was told, hey, like there's a chance if you don't start hitting and you don't start performing, you're not going to have any playing time here and you might want to look at transferring. And he took that as a challenge. And so that's his mindset. It's always been his mindset. So he'll get it figured out. And once he starts finding that rhythm again, he's a guy that I think very quickly could end up in double A or even higher. Yeah, he's got a nice base skill set. The defense is good, like you said. There's some on base skills. There's a good arm. There's some speed there. I don't know how high the the ceiling goes with him, but I enjoyed watching him at UNC, especially playing defense. I'll have to link to that story. I know you shared during the year about the challenges he went through at UNC and how he had to grow from it. That was really 
eye-opening a good story for him to see. Uh, since you brought up Guy Lipscomb, let's move on to there. Three, or I'm sorry, 48 steals. That's that's insane. I know the numbers the last several years in Lynchburg in terms of steals and and, had, and not maybe pitchers not holding runners, a pitch clock, things like that. But man, 48 steals in the 75 games is bananas. It feels like that's a lot, and that's a big guy. Lipscomb, if I'm if I'm correct, he's a big dude. He's he's very tall, right? He's not like a compact short speeder speedy kind of guy he is a long-legged dude Uh, yeah and he's a guy that he originally wanted to play football that's what he when he was in high school he was dreaming of the nfl he didn't have any major league aspirations he didn't even want to play baseball past college and then he got recruited really for only baseball and he went to uh, uh, belmont and picked up 42 stolen bases there and really had uh displayed the speed that made him stand out on the football field uh, when he was in high school. And so he trans- uh, when he got drafted, he came to, to Lynchburg. We knew he was going to put up a lot of stolen base numbers, and the dude can fly. Uh, and he's excellent defensively. He had a couple mistakes toward the end of the season. I think that was more mentally he was having some problems getting over the fact that he had dove into a wall and fractured his wrist. So he started losing his confidence as he was tracking toward uh, center field. But uh, – he reads balls well off the bat. He gets a good jump. Uh, but like you said, he's got a lot of speed, a Billy Hamilton type uh, player where he's just going to, if he hits it into the ground, he can beat it out. And if you need a pinch runner late in the game, you got to throw guy lips come out there because he can get a great read of a pitcher and he can swipe second and even third with, without any hesitation. He's a fun guy to watch run the bases and he's got a great IQ when he's on the, uh, uh, on first. Got three more guys I want to bring up. And if there's anybody I don't mention, maybe towards the end, if there's anybody you think we should mention on the hitting side of things, we move on to pitching. Um, trying to think where we should start here. Let's let's get this one out of the way. Can you confirm that Carson Tucker still plays baseball in the Guardians organization? Because it feels like sometimes it's just a myth that he's, that he's not there. Uh, what, what have your observations of, of Carson Tucker's season been like? Because obviously that's a, a guy, another guy that everyone's, Trying to figure out where things go for him next. It's been it's been a rough road so far, to say the least. Yeah, and he's going to be one of those what if guys. I think is the best way to put it. I I think his his work ethic is there. I think his his mindset has been there. He's just been so bogged down by injuries. Every time he starts playing a couple of games in a row, he gets hit by a a, a fastball right on the wrist. He uh, takes a tumble coming around a base. He steps awkwardly leaving the box and just nothing seems to be going right in his professional career so far. He does still play baseball. He actually played a lot in the final week. And there was a stretch right before one of his final injuries of the season where you just saw the, you saw why he was taken in the first round. He was hitting a lot of solid line drives. It was pure. His approach at the plate was comfortable, but it's just one of those guys who, because of his injuries, he's never been able to find that rhythm uh, and build into a season and get that everyday playing time, which is really frustrating for him. I know he's been disappointed about it, um, but yeah, it's he's a good dude. He's he's easy to talk to. He's laid back. Uh, it, it's frustrating, I know, to, for Guardians fans because everyone was so high on him, but it's it's really injuries that have caused a lot of the problems for him. Yeah, not a shock. And when you consider, too, anybody in that 2020 class, it's amazing what they've done because of how upside down their their final season, whether it was college or high school, got turned upside down. And like you said, between, between him not being able to play in 2020 the way he couldn't, and then ever since then he's dealt with some injuries, things like that, it's it's not hard to understand why things haven't really gone forward from for, for yet. But um, – yeah, it's every, everyone that year was turned upside down, including all these, especially a high school kid at that. I mean, that's yeah, that's really tough. And that's why he keeps getting more and more chances is he was a high school kid. But you think about you're going from high school, you have to take a year off completely because there's no baseball, there's no minor league baseball in the league that you just got drafted into. And so you can't even go down to Arizona and face live pitching. And then you have to come out the next year and you're dealing with injuries and you're in Arizona and then you come to Lynchburg and you're dealing with more injuries. It just ever since high school for him, he just hasn't found consistent playing time because of everything that's just happened. And so uh, 
there are glimpses every once in a while, but you have to wonder, is his time coming to an end with the Guardians organization? And I hope a team takes a flyer on him because there are those sparks. Uh, and sometimes, as we know, development's not linear. It does take some time. It does take going to a different organization. Um, <laughs> Lord knows the Tampa Bay Rays can just take any Guardians player and turn them into. Uh, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. We see them all the time uh, with with their prospects in the Carolina League. Um, but uh, didn't they just win the championship? Third straight year. God, Char- Charleston, right? Yep. We I, I'm starting to call the Carolina League the uh, the Charleston River Dogs Invitational. <laughs> Man, yeah. Let's yeah. Camonero did Camonero start the year there last year? Or was it this year? He started – he actually ended the year in Charleston last year. So he played That's us right. in the championship game uh, here in Lynchburg. That's right. He had a home he run was, off of – off oh, of yeah. Dion? No, not Dion. Uh, who was it? He had a home run it off of the end of the year. Uh, was it Johnston? Reed Johnston? Yeah. Some, yeah, it was somebody who didn't come up last year at Lake County. It was one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, Oof. and he also started the benches clearing brawl in the in game two. Oh, he said something to Junior Sam Canteen on the way by, and Sam Canteen, he's pretty mild mannered most of the time, but he didn't take too kindly and charged their dugout. And from there, it was all bets are off. That uh, that might give you a little bit of insight into the trade now that I think about it. And uh, boy, that's that's an interesting guy to go pick on because Junior Sam Canteen is not a small, not a small. Neither of them are small guys. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, let's see. Let's go to. Wilfredo Antunez, you saw a little bit of him at the end of the year last year. He got hurt, uh, you know, briefly into his debut last year and only played 89 games this year. Another guy who's Rule 5 eligible this year that I don't think anybody knows what to do with or he probably won't get added, but kind of a guy who's got a reputation in some scouting circles for his size, ability to play center. There's some pop there. There's some speed. And the numbers this year, I mean, he's 20, which is, you know, Still a little bit young for the Carolina League. Not not old, but maybe not the youngest guy in the league. But some pretty impressive numbers. Seven, six, six homers, 17 doubles, 11 steals. Um, what, what do you make of Antunez right now? I, I, that's one of the guys I am excited to see next year in Lake County, I will say. Yeah, I think his problem is maturity. That's what I've kind of seen throughout the season That when he was here. And like you said, another guy who's battled injuries. But the, the one thing that time and time again I noticed is he would get in his own head and he would get frustrated with himself. And he's the, I, there was one comment that was made to me. Uh, one game he went 0 for 4, but 4 for 4 in helmet tosses. And so it just it, it, he's that kind of attitude when he's not performing well. And that just he beats himself up over it, which makes it harder to get out of a slump when you're beating yourself over and over and over again because you're not hitting the way you want to. And it's just, it's a vicious cycle. Every once in a while, he'll fall into the trap of not beating out a, a ground ball or a pop fly. And as a broadcaster, it can be a little bit frustrating to see that kind of stuff. And I know the team has worked with him on it, but he, like some of the other guys we've talked about, he has the skill set. He's got the power. He's got the speed. He has the the nice pure and easy swing. And when he's clicking, he's a guy that can fight off every single pitch. Doesn't matter where it's thrown, he gets his bat on the ball and just stays alive. Uh, and that's how you know when he's in a good place at the plate is when he's able to go deep into the at bats and foul off a lot of pitches. And we saw that a lot of times this season. It's just when he starts getting in his own head, that's where um, some of the problems begin to creep up on him. Well, we all made those decisions at 20 years old at one time <laughs> I or still another. Do, right? <laughs> Yeah. I dropped the fly ball in our staff BP today, and I threw my ball. Oh. So it's we all have it. Well, that's going to cost you a spot on the forty-man roster, Jason. <laughs> not, not here, though. Not here. You're still. We don't There's care how many. Reason I'm still in Lynchburg. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get you to move on one of these days. Uh, let's see. The last hitter I'm going to bring up, and I'll let you kind of. If there's any hitters I miss, you think worth mentioning, let me know. Um, at the end of the year, CJ Kafis. I really liked him at the end of the year. Obviously, he was. Only there for a handful of games, but hit a couple of homers, played some outfield, played some first base, 2023 draft pick. Uh, what Do we think he can stick in the outfield? Because that's been kind of the thing is, is he a first baseman only? Can he play some outfield? Um, how much power is in the bat? Because early in his career at Miami, there wasn't a whole lot of power. It, he came into some power. 
And the only thing I'll, I noticed too, just watching a couple of games was that it's a guy who probably needs some coaching in terms of using his lower half and his swing because uh, it was a very upper half swing, but he still manages it for power like that. So I'm hoping that maybe if they help him incorporate the lower half a little more that they can unlock a little bit more power. But what did you see from, from CJ Kafis? Yeah. Like you said, we only saw him for a little bit of time and because of the injury to Mike Coyado, he was really stuck at first base. So we only got a couple games of him in left field and that's where they were kind of consistently putting him when he was in the outfield was left field. Um, and it seemed like every time that he was in the outfield, the ball just never got hit to him. And so I, I can't really speak too much into, he does have, he, he's sneaky fast. He's not going to um, outrun anybody like Guy Lipscomb or Luis Durango, but he's, he's got enough speed where you can put him in left field and he can make some plays. I would almost slot his speed uh, and quickness for a right field position. Um, but it's he's got a decent enough glove and a good enough arm where you can put him pretty much either in right or left. And they stuck him in, in left field because Antunez was uh, heavily in right field for much of the season. But I really like him. I, I liked his his approaches at the plate. I thought when he started finding his his comfort level, uh, he started hitting the ball really well. And he was clutch. He was timely. The moment never got to him. And time and time again, he was picking up base hits late in the ball game. And if you're a guy who can do that, you're going to be a guy that the Guardians can trust and a guy that uh, can stick around because if nothing phases you, uh, you're going to get a little bit of extra time. And so uh, I'm excited to see his development. Yes, there's still some flaws in his game. I'd like to see him uh, shore up his defense a little bit more if he is going to be strictly a first baseman. Uh, he, he struggled to pick the ball at times um, over at first, but the tools are there. The skills are there. It's about piecing it all together. Really quickly, before I let you talk about whoever, whatever hitter you think maybe I missed, since you did bring up Luis Durango, uh, who's winning in a foot race for Luis, Luis Durango and Guy Lipscomb? If you ask either one of them, they're going to say themselves. <laughs> yeah. I think if we're ta- if we're talking about stealing a base and getting a read off the pitcher, I'm going to take Guy Lipscomb in a straight straight up foot race. Uh, it's you'd be hard pressed to take anyone in the Carolina League beside uh, Luis Durango. Uh, and we had some some pretty quick guys. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of the guy who was with Charleston for much of the year and ended up in uh, with the hot rods. But it, that guy was quick. But Luis Durango is right up there with him as far as how fast he is. Just when he takes off, it is a blur. Yeah, there's a reason his nickname is Dash. Yes. Uh, who, who did I miss uh, offensively that you think is maybe worth mentioning here before we move on to pitching? I think a lot of people overlook Mike Coyado. Um, I thought his bat was really solid pretty much for the entire year. He was hitting around 270, 280 is what I think he wrapped up with. But for much of the year, even after his injury, he was right around 300. Went through a cold spell at the end of the season. And what I was really impressed with, and I know this is a position of, of need in the Guardians organization, is he was outstanding defensively at first base. Like beyond what I could have expected He in my two years here, he was the best first baseman that I saw, and he's not a natural first baseman like some of the other guys that have come through here. He picked the ball really well on low throws. He was able to maneuver around the bag and off the bag when he needed to, and there was a play late in the season uh, in the final series as we were trying to get to 500 where he was playing in. It was a slow roller up the first baseline, and he barehanded a ball and came home with it, and they got the runner by a step which would have been the tying run in the ninth inning. And it was in that moment that you saw, okay, this guy has all the skill set needed to be a first baseman, at least defensively. And so if his bat can stay consistent, he had a wrist injury for a lot of the season that kept him out. But if his bat can stay consistent, his defense is already there. I'm excited to see his development uh, throughout the next couple seasons. Yeah, converted, I believe shortstop. He was signed as a shortstop. Not a, not a huge target at first base, but – um, yeah, early on he was, you know, in the middle of that lineup. I remember and hitting pretty well. All right, pitching. Uh, instead of me blurting out names, I mean, we could talk about Parker Messick. He was there for half a year. Um, let's go in reverse this time. Who who is the pitcher that you think deserves to be talked about first when it comes to the Hillcats this year? You see, that's tough. There, pitching was a rough spot for Lynchburg this year. I know I've said uh, the success in Lynchburg has come on the back of pitching, and that's true. This year was the lone exception. It was oftentimes the bats that have 
that were carrying the the team and the organization uh, just in what they were doing night in and night out. So pitching wise, it's really tough to pick a guy who was a standout arm. Um, you think of a guy like Adam Tulloch, uh, who you were pretty, I was impressed with at times, but I, um, I, I think if I had to pick an MVP per se of the pitching staff, it would be Austin Peterson. Um, he's a tall guy, six, six. Um, he has pretty good stuff. Um, and he is a pitch to contact kind of guy, um, which is unique in baseball nowadays. Uh, you don't see that very often. He gave up a lot of hits, um, but he did a good job of limiting the damage. Uh, his ERA was, I think in the threes, uh, if I don't, uh, if I'm, I could be wrong on that. It was either three or four. Um, but it, it would have been a low four um, at that. But he went late into the ball game a couple times, two eight-inning outings. And in baseball in general, nobody goes eight innings anymore. And he was only at about 85, 90 pitches each time. Uh, but because of minor league baseball and their pitch count, they wouldn't let him go any further than that. But he very easily could have thrown a complete game. And uh, ironically, it's the first time since 2018 that a pitcher for the Hillcats has gone more than, or has gone eight complete uh, complete innings. So he's a guy that I, I'd like to see a little bit more out of, but he's got some solid stuff and he's an intriguing prospect. He's got a pretty solid arm. He just gives up too many hits. If he can lower that hit count, I think he's got a chance of advancing through the organization a little bit. Did He was second on the team in innings pitch right behind Alonzo Richardson, but struck out 102. Teams that hit 286 against him, he limited his walks, but he made 24 starts. Yeah, this guy was was top five, I want to say, in the NCAA in strikeouts the year they drafted him. So I, I pitching the contact is interesting since he missed so many bats in college, but uh, he went to UConn. We'll see what happens next year. Kind of reminds me a little of Reed Johnston just with the size, but uh, I'm hoping for a little more from him next year as well. Um just looking at the numbers, the Adam Tullock was an interesting one. I saw, I mean, he had some good starts out there. He, you know, I know he started the year out of the bullpen, came a starter and, and had to do some different things. I kind of liked his arm angle being very deceptive. One of the guys I was more intrigued by was Jormon Gomez, because this is not an organization that really invests a lot of um, money or resources into international pitching prospects. But Jormon Gomez right now looks like one of the guys that might be an interesting uh, pitching prospect in terms of international 100 strikeouts, 102 innings ERA in the, the mid fours, not too bad, you know, walked twice as many or struck twice as many as he uh, walked, um, had some good starts this year. What, what do you think of his stuff? Yeah. Jorman Gomez, he was, a uh, the start of the year was pretty solid. He had a rough month and I think the month of May is when he really started struggling. Uh, but he, like you said, he's a little undersized, which he's about the size of Will Dion, so it doesn't matter at the end of the day. If you're size, you can pitch, you can pitch. He's got more pop in his arm than Will Dion did. He's up around 93, 94, and he can top out around 95, 96 uh, with his fastball. And at this age, that's pretty solid, and it shows that he can probably add a couple more ticks to his fastball at times. Um, it's consistency that's been his problem this season, but like you said, international pitching prospects are not something that the Guardians have invested heavily into. But he's the kind of guy that could warrant taking a little bit of a longer look at and maybe pouring a few more resources into and spending a little bit more time developing his repertoire and developing his his motion. Um, he was fun to watch at times. There are other days where he wasn't as fun to watch, but that's what you get in Carolina League Baseball. This guy struggled to throw strikes uh, on certain nights. So, yeah, I agree with you. He's He's got some upside. He's got some pop in that arm. Um, and, and he's got a chance to be one of the few international pitching prospects that uh, Cleveland invests some money. I would guess that if you're talking about – well, the one guy we should talk about too real quickly at the end was Jackson Humphreys, was kind of a higher pick – well, not a higher pick for Cleveland, but one of the few high school arms that they're talking about they don't really invest in international arms. They also don't invest in high school arms, at least – they had it until last year and, and now this year. Uh, first start for Jackson Humphreys was was pretty bad. It could have gone much, much better. Uh, second start, much better. He, I know he had kind of up and down uh, end of the season, but, you know, he bounced back from a very ugly first start to have a good second start. And 
you know, kind of hung around towards the end of the season, but he was one of the more interesting arms, at least I really wanted to watch. Like you said, the pitching this year was kind of tough for, for Lynchburg, but Jackson Humphreys is one of the guys I at least wanted to tune into each week. You got a little bit there. Were you, you were talking about Jackson Humphreys, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you sure cutting out of my end. I was hoping we could we get through it. We're we're cutting out a little bit here. Yeah, I, I apologize. Sometimes the Wi-Fi here at the ballpark isn't necessarily the best. But you know, you're you're right, Jackson Humphreys. His his season started out pretty rough. But... Oh, we lost Jason there for a second. Hopefully reloading will uh help him out. Let's see what happens here. Stick with us. We'll see if he comes back on. But, yeah, we are talking about uh, Jackson Humphreys. Mm, yeah. All right, well, we're going to let Jason kind of reload and see what happens here. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was interested in seeing what happened with, uh, with Jackson Humphreys this year. All right, Jason was uh, able to rejoin us. Thankfully, we were in the middle of – Talking about Jackson Humphreys, thanks for for sticking with us. Okay, so he was one guy this year pitching-wise when he did get to Lynchburg that I was excited to tune into each week, even if his first start was was hard to watch. Yeah, and I apologize again for my internet issues. Hopefully that'll be the the final time tonight. But Jackson Humphreys, his first start, it was a little rough. Uh, You could tell there were some jitters, just some uh, adjustment periods uh, when it comes to going from Arizona to Lynchburg. As you mentioned, a lot of pitchers here in this league, they struggle to throw strikes. And part of that is the fact that the umpires are not good. It's just a fact that everyone in the league talks about. Uh, you can talk to managers. You can talk to coaches. There's a reason one of the nicest guys I've ever met in Jordan Smith was ejected almost five times. Uh, I've never heard him say anything mean to anybody, and he got ejected a couple of times. So uh, that just goes to show you how bad these umpires are uh, in this league. But um, and you can't blame it all on that, but he, he's got a lot of interesting stuff and his fastball is pretty solid. He's got a good breaking ball, uh, which I was pretty impressed with at times. Uh, and when he finally did find his consistency and find his rhythm in a couple of his starts, he looked like a guy who could be a contributor for a while. Uh, he's still pretty young and he's, he's a guy that will probably end up back in Lynchburg next year as well, uh, which will probably be good for him. Uh, just another year against these types of bats and maybe get a call up before the draft guys come in in July and August. But uh, he's an intriguing prospect. He's got, he's got the stuff that you're looking for. He's got the spin rates that you like to see at this level. Uh, And so we're hoping that he can develop even further and find that consistency that we saw in a couple of the starts. Really glad you brought the umpiring part up now, because just people who, who will scout the stat line in the minors, you know, walk rate, strikeout rate, whether it's a hitter or a pitcher, they always tell people that stuff's not going to translate from that level because you just don't know. There's a lot of guys who don't touch the plate very often, so walk rates are inflated. I guess if you're striking out a lot there, it's not a great sign. But the umpire, umpiring is not something I, I considered before. I suppose it makes sense because even at that level, umpires are, are prospects too. They're working on uh, their game as well. But I, that's something I didn't consider, the umpires being – bad so if you're listening to this and you're looking at stats and low a and you're wondering why a guy doesn't uh, strike out as many batters or doesn't walk as much when he moves up consider what jason said the umpires down there also are are prospects and working on their game as well i never i guess i should have thought of that before but that's that's a good point and and i can't even count the times, especially when you're looking at an era a batting average you can find a little bit more consistency or for batters at least you can find a little bit more of a uh, a story uh, that you can read through. Uh, but pitchers, when you're looking at their numbers in, in the Carolina league, uh, I, I mentioned Franco Alleman, he, how he couldn't throw a strike down here. And then he's become a guy that everyone's high on. He might end up playing a little bit in Cleveland next season. Uh, and if you would have asked me when he was here in Lynchburg, I would have said, there's no way, but <laughs> you just, the amount of times that I've watched players get screwed out of uh, ending an inning or um, the umpire gets a little too uh, trigger happy and calls a guy out when he was clear, uh, when he wasn't or safe when he clearly wasn't just for the sake of the moment. Um, it, it happened more times than I can even count, uh, probably about two or three times a series even. And so you look at a guy's ERA, a lot of those innings should have been done with when he would give up two or three runs. 
But you get a bad call that goes against you. A runner gets on that's not supposed to. A wild pitch moves him into scoring position. And then two hits later, you've given up two more runs uh, that you shouldn't have given up because the guy shouldn't have even been on on first base to begin with. And so, or the strike zone decides to shift into the other batter's box. And there's all these factors that when you're dealing with Carolina league umpires, the numbers do not tell the story whatsoever. There's so many other things that you have to look at when you're trying to evaluate somebody in the Carolina league, their, uh, their approach to the plate, their batted ball numbers, their, um, their velocity, their motion, all that kind of stuff is way more important when it comes to evaluating somebody who's been here or who has played in the Carolina league or sorry, the Charleston river dogs invitational, uh, then the, uh, then the numbers might suggest. Yeah. Good point. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought all that up. Cause that's, yeah, that's something most people do not consider. Uh, I would say outside of Jackson Humphreys and we talked about, you know, Richardson and a little bit of Jorman Gomez, the bullpen was kind of the most interesting piece of the Hillcats pitching staff. Sean Rapp was good while he was there. Obviously, minute to Lake County and was, was pretty good. Uh, Magnus Ellert, same thing. I mean, those were guys who I'm guessing impressed you the most in terms of pitching because they had the best numbers and they were gone very quickly because of those those numbers. Um, you did get to see <clears throat> a couple of the draft picks, you know, Matt Jahasik, um, Jay Driver, Zane Morehouse. Any of those guys kind of stick out to you in terms of their first couple impressions at the, at the, the pro level? It was really tough to tell. I think I only saw each of them two times while they were here in Lynchburg uh, just because of pitching rotations and going on road trips. And uh, when a couple of them got assigned, I think some of them came up when they went to Fredericksburg the week before their mm-hmm. final homestand. I think Morehouse was one of those guys. Um, it, it was really hard to get a read on some of them. Uh, it, I always say when it comes to draft picks, pitching is the hardest thing to evaluate that year because – unlike during their college time where they're going straight from their college season and jumping straight into the uh, Woodbat League or the Cape League or the Appy League or whatever it might be, where they're still getting their reps in all throughout the summer, they're taking probably two or three months off from game speed um, and preparing for the draft and trying to find their rhythm. So essentially, by the time they get to Lynchburg, they're in spring training mode uh, with their trying to get back to their rhythm, trying to find their flow. And so it's really hard to evaluate a guy at that late into the season when they come to a, a city like Lynchburg out of a, out of the draft because they just don't have the reps. Every other guy that they're facing, every batter that they're facing has been uh, taking cuts and in game speed other than a few of the draft picks. Um, they've been in game speed for probably the whole year um, or at least since middle of June, maybe late July. But for guys like Morehouse and Jasic and uh, Driver, you're getting three, four appearances, uh, two maybe in the Arizona Complex League, and then all of a sudden you're being thrust into meaningful action. And so it's it's really hard. They're in, uh, it's kind of a spring training mode. Um, so it was really hard to get a read on some of them. Jasic at times was impressive. Driver at times was impressive late in the games. Morehouse, I didn't get a good read on him because I didn't see him very much. Um, at least not in meaningful action. Um, he was kind of a, a mop-up duty type role uh, when he pitched in Lynchburg. So uh, that's kind of my evaluation of the, the pitchers that came through from the draft. Uh, it's just they were kind of in a spring training type mode because they were, had taken a lot of time off from game speed. And that's a good point to bring up too is that this is why the Guardians often don't send their draft picks out after they've been picked, I know a lot of people get frustrated with that and wonder why you're not seeing your draft picks go to low A or, or wherever at an affiliate. And that's kind of why, because of that situation right there. But now they kind of have to because of the new roster rules. And if they're on the roster, you might as well do it. And you, you have to make room for them anyway. You have less guys because you're cutting guys. So yeah, everyone's in spring training mode, except for you said there you're facing hitters that are not in spring training mode. They're in midseason form or you're facing guys like Dylan Cruz who are always in midseason form apparently. That guy had no business being at I know he's not a Guardians prospect, but that guy had no business being at low A. I'm glad you got to see him and that was got to call his first home run. But that guy had no business playing in that league from day one. Yeah, I uh he definitely should not have been here, but I am very glad that he was for the week that he was here because actually that was one of the Hillcats best series as far as their production and performance. Because I think they knew what was all riding 
uh, facing Dylan Cruz. There were a lot of eyes, a lot of scouts. And so everyone kind of stepped up to the, to the task and it was the most tightly contested and entertaining series we had all season, but watching Dylan Cruz play was a treat. His swing. I know, like you said, he's not a guardians prospect, but he's the real deal and shouldn't have been here at all. Well, always interesting to see guys go through that level before we get you out of here. Let's take a look. Oh, okay. There are no pitchers that I didn't mention that you think we should have brought up, right? Did we get to every, every pitcher that was worth mentioning? Every pitcher that ended the season on the Hillcats. Yes. I do want to give a, a shout out to uh, Tomas Reyes, who uh, was unfortunately cut a great guy, quiet guy. I've been with the organization for a while. It, he, he always was a, a mid-season call-up, it felt like, to Lynchburg, and he put up great numbers when he was here, but unfortunately his age, they, they just couldn't find any upward momentum and trajectory for him within the organization. So he was a guy that I was really impressed with, but unfortunately he's no longer with the organization. But hopefully, just a shout-out in case you're listening, Tomas, uh, uh, hopefully we can see you land somewhere else. Always appreciate the org soldiers, for sure, guys that fill multiple roles. I and mean, he pitched 26 games this year. Uh, like you said, probably a guy that they needed innings from. They need, he had 10 out of 11 saves, and that's it's pretty impressive for a guy they didn't have a whole lot of plans for. So, yeah, hopefully he lands somewhere else. Definitely picked up the void for some innings when there was a need there. All right, so before we get out of here really quickly, let's let's take a look ahead to next year, what we can think. So we already talked about hopefully Jason Churio is uh, in center field, maybe leading off. I'm curious to see if guys like Alex Mooney, you know, start the year next year. I would assume he'll start in Lynchburg next year just because you're going to have Devers and Hanau moving on and, and Juan Benjamin I know is going to move on. So I would think that it stands the reason Mooney will be there. Uh, who knows about catching because Johnny Tincher played, I don't know, two games. I really – I was going to ask what happened to him because he played two games and he was gone. <clears throat> and it's like, did they already make him a coach? Because it seems like Johnny Tincher is a future coach already, but – I was like, they didn't go down that road already, did they? Two two games into his pro career. No, he ended up. I don't know what happened, but he suffered a wrist injury uh, about two games in. He, he took a weird at bat and fouled up off a couple pitches, and it, something just wasn't right when he came back into the dugout. And they just shut him down for the rest of the year to play it safe. So uh, that's why you didn't get to see too much of him. Um, but it's nice when you have guys like Robert Lopez who could uh, really. He was another guy that was really impressive. And, I don't know if he'll be back in Lynchburg next season, but I kind of hope he is because his bat was solid. It was the first time we saw that come around, and he's got a great arm behind the plate. Yeah, he did have a good end of the year. That's true. I, we did not mention that he had a good end of the season offensively and had some power. All right, so Johnny Tincher didn't break his wrist doing a backflip. He was famous for backflips in college, so didn't go there. So, yeah, we might have Robert Lopez. Uh, we assume Jason Chorio. I would, yeah, I would assume Alex Mooney. Um, maybe a couple of the college pitchers we just talked about. Um, I'm just looking down the roster. I mean, Jacob Zibben's got to get healthy from Tommy John. Keegan Zinn is a high school kid. They don't really send a lot of those guys out that early. Matt Wilkinson's a college kid. He's only 20. So maybe you get big Matt Wilkinson. That could be a lot of fun. He's a, an interesting guy with some good pitch ability. Um, Raphael Ramirez had a really interesting year in – Arizona in the Arizona Complex League. Tommy Hawk, I think that'd be a lot of fun to have him next to Churio in center field uh, out in out in Lynchburg. You have two very good outfielders. I'm not sure what they'll do with Justin Campbell and Dylan DeLucia. Those are two guys that were in the 2022 draft class that were hurt. I could see, you know, I kind of feel like Campbell has to start in Lake County based on where he was picked. DeLucia, maybe. Any guys you've looked at, you think that, you know, you guys might have a shot at next year? I'm I don't think you're going to get Ralphie Velasquez that early. That'd be nice, but I don't think that's going to happen I, until later in the season. I almost disagree with you on that one. Um, I, you think of a guy like Jake Fox, and granted, he's a middle infielder, so it's a little bit different, but he was a first-round pick in 21, and he spent all of 22 in Lynchburg, and he was out of high school. Um, and so very similar situation to what we see with Ralphie Velasquez and his bat has proven that Arizona can only do so much for him. Um, and I know the Guardians don't like to rush guys, and especially at the catching position, you really don't want to rush a guy through the organization because there, there's so much that can go wrong with a catcher and injuries and all that kind of stuff. But I think we may get to see a lot of Ralphie Velasquez in uh, in a Hillcats uniform next season. I, I'm excited for it. I, he'll end up here eventually. I think he'll be here the whole season. Um, and I think we could also see 
potentially the the second round pick as well. The pitcher that came out of high school, Alex I can't Bobby. remember his name. And uh, so I'm really excited for this ball club next year. Um, and seeing, like, like you said, Cheerio, uh, we haven't, it, it hasn't been a place that a lot of highly touted prospects in the organization have been coming through as of late. Um, guys like DeLauder obviously skipping us and going straight up to uh, Lake County, which everyone down here was upset about because JMU's right up the road and it would have helped our ticket sale numbers. But um, <laughs> I think with the, the approach of drafting a lot of high school guys uh, early this past season, uh, at least in the first two rounds, I think that'll boost some of the the star power per se. You can only have so much star power in minor league baseball, but uh, I think a little bit more attention will be paid to what's what's happening down in Lynchburg because we're going to see some of those those guys who are maybe in the top ten, uh, Churio and Velasquez, uh, for a long period of time next season um, down here in Lynchburg. That's an interesting point with. Uh... With Velasquez, he is a mature kid too. I mean, he has worked hard to get where he is, and like you said, Arizona can only do so much for him. I I feel like he's going to be a guy. I don't know how he'll look at catcher, but I feel like he's a guy whose bat is going to uh, push him off the position because his bat's going to arrive sooner than his glove. And if Bo Naylor works at the major league level, uh, which he is so far, I think that uh, you know they may need to find another position for Velasquez just to get his bat to the major league level. That's all all good things, hopefully. Yeah, Clemmy, Clemmy could get, get up there next year. I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew Walters makes an appearance in Lynchburg. I mean, he might blow through there pretty quickly, like like a, um, the relievers that were down there this year between Rapp and, and Ellert, so we could see that. Like I said, maybe maybe Tommy Hawk gets you some ticket sales. I mean, you know, not too far away in Wake Forest. I mean, that's, that's somewhat close, so maybe you get some ticket sales from the Wake Forest kid. I really like Tommy Hawk in college. I'm excited to see what he can do. I think he'll probably start in – in Lynchburg and you know Mooney went to Duke that's not also not super far maybe you I, I would assume you'll get him back and I'm interested to see Mooney the Guardians did have to give up a lot of money they had to forfeit signing um, Matt Hewer and Ryan Marone from their draft class to sign Alex Mooney so the Guardians clearly like Alex Mooney so you know might get a good look at him next year and I think he's a kind of a dirt dog who should be fun to watch yeah, he was fun to watch. Obviously, his numbers weren't there, but you could see he's a leader on the field and always hyping up his teammates and pulling them aside, encouraging them. And that's something that you love to see out of a guy uh, who you've put a lot of money toward uh, in the draft. But his coach was actually up here. Uh, I forget what his name is down at Duke, um, but he was up here almost every series that he was in Lynchburg because uh, he's actually from this area. Uh, and so it was really cool. Alex would get an opportunity uh, to talk with his coach uh, after a couple of the games and just try to correct some things and work on some things and have that consistent voice that he had down at Duke also helping him transition to the next level. So hopefully uh, we'll get to see a little bit more of Mooney and we can get his bat sorted out so he can have a long and successful career as a Cleveland Guardian. Yeah, I think he'll be back next year. All right, Jason, thanks for – taking the time fighting through some internet issues and uh, hanging around with us to wrap up the Hillcat season. Uh, everybody can follow you on, on Twitter or X at uh, Jace Prill 19. Where, where else can they find your work over the off season, whatever you're going to be working on this off season, where can they uh, look for? Yeah, they can tune in uh, to a lot of Liberty sports. I'll be working on Liberty uh, broadcast for football and basketball on the radio, doing some producing and board hopping. Uh, you can also catch me on ESPN Plus with some of the smaller sports. If you're into field hockey, I got some field hockey games coming up. Uh, if you're into low-level uh, college men's soccer, uh, I can also uh, <laughs> point you toward that as well. Um, but otherwise, you can just follow me on social media and keep tabs with everything that I'm doing to prep already for next year's Hillcats team. Looking forward to Yeah, the, the minor league broadcasting grind never stops. doesn't matter if baseball is over. It is on to the next season, the next sport, and always getting ready for the next season and trying to make yourself better for the next year. I know how that goes. I'm always trying to be better on the podcast, and I remember the days in, in broadcasting. They were short for me, but uh, yeah, that grind never stops. It never does, but if you love it, you know, it doesn't feel like work, and I love it, so I won't trade it for anything. Well, we appreciate you being on here and uh, looking forward to maybe we'll check in over the offseason and talk about what the Guardians have done and see how it might impact the Hillcats. Maybe we'll have a good conversation about minor league baseball and all the things that go into that and maybe the grind. I've, I've, I've had a couple conversations with people who worked in minor league baseball on the podcast before, mostly in, in 2020, to talk about you know what it's like working in minor league baseball, advice, and 
the behind the scenes stuff. So maybe we'll have an off season conversation on that before we get ready to preview the Hillcat season in 2024, because it will be here before you know it. I would love to just let me know whenever you want to do it and we'll get it set up and ready to go. All right. Sounds good. Well, that's friend of the show and uh, Cleveland long time. Cleveland. I don't know how long you were in Cleveland, but you're a lifetime Clevelander now because you were here. So uh, Jason Prill joining the podcast for us, the Lynchburg Hillcats uh, broadcast. They're wrapping up the 2023 Hillcat season. Thank you all for listening this week. And in the future weeks, you can expect to hear us wrap up the Akron rubber duck season and eventually the Columbus Clippers season. We've got some guests in line for those. So make sure you stay tuned for that and uh, catch us again soon.